podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Whether we are aware of it or not, there is an underlying current in our lives that is continually guiding us toward the effortless fulfillment of our heart's desires. The challenge is learning how to recognize and how to integrate divine flow into our lives. In this episode, Stephen Lane Taylor explores what might be blocking the experience of the divine flow. The idea is to discover what we can do to experience the flow's miracles. The goal is to learn how to stop struggling with life and start living the way it was meant to be lived, with more simplicity and joy. This statement has been paraphrased based on the information found on RollRollRoll.com. My conversation today is with Stephen Lane Taylor about the miracles of letting go. Stephen is an author and a speaker. Although he spent more than 30 years as an advertising writer, he has had a lifelong interest in spirituality, which was ignited by a brief but profound mystical experience he had at the age of 14. For eight years, Stephen taught a weekly class on spirituality at the Unity Church in Dallas, Texas. He has been a guest speaker at churches in Texas, and he also has been invited to speak at several national spiritual conferences. Stephen is the author of Row, Row, Row Your Boat, a guide for living life in the divine flow. One of the stories in his book was included in the popular book series, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Here is the interview with Stephen Lane Taylor. In your own words, who is Stephen Lane Taylor? <laughs> uh, okay, I'd say uh, Stephen Lane Taylor is uh, a guy who uh, kind of pushed and manipulated and controlled uh, his way through life uh, for many, many years and then discovered there's an easy way, easier way to live life uh, about in my late 30s. And uh, 
So ever since then, I'm a person who's been so intrigued by what I consider a, a beneficent universe working on our behalf that I continue to uh, work and concentrate on that and tell people about it all the time. So I'm, I'm a very much of a communicator about what I believe and, and think and have experienced, and I like to share that with others. That sounds great. Thank you. In your book, you wrote, I let go and I experienced the miracle of something called the flow. What does it mean to let go and to go with the flow? And how did you personally experience it? Okay. Let me start with a definition because along the way, I've, I've kind of defined and redefined and, and honed my little definition of what the flow is for people. And then I've got a, a kind of a visual metaphor I'll use to describe it. Okay. Uh, my definition for the flow is an underlying current in your life, a flow that is continually guiding you towards the effortless fulfillment of your heart's desires. I'll say that again. There's a, I believe there's an underlying current in your life that is continually guiding you towards the effortless fulfillment of your heart's desires. Mm. Now, the way I see that working, if you want to just visualize this, is like your desires, the things you want to have, do, or be in life are like destinations that lie down a stream. And you want to get down that stream towards your dream. But the beautiful thing is you don't have to get down there by your own power alone, right? Because there's this flow, there's this current, this stream that is helping you get there. And the way it helps you get there is by guiding you. You get guidance from your intuition. You get guidance from other people and usually from their intuitive wisdom. And you get guidance from signs and synchronicities that, that point you in a certain direction. But your job, see, is to recognize these signs, recognize what is happening, recognize how you're being guided, and then cooperate with it. And every time you do, every time you cooperate and, and take action on how you're being guided and what your next right step is, I call that rowing with the flow. Uh, you, you have to let go of how you think you're going to get somewhere or achieve something and, and get in touch with this flow and row with it. Uh, just as a side point, I rarely say go with the flow because go with the flow just means, you know, just getting swept along by whatever's going on around you, which could be good things or bad things. I use the word row with the flow. Because that to me is like consciously thinking, of what is the one thing I should do now? What is my next right step? And that's rowing. It's, it's about action in life, but it's about taking divinely guided action. So yes, you, you ask, how did I experience the flow? Well, I never experienced that <laughs> <laughs> up, until, oh. up until I was about 36. Okay. Because this is, uh, I, I could have answered this, uh, well, I, I guess I did say a little bit about this when you asked me who I am, but I spent most of my life, at least the, the first uh, 35 years or so, thinking that if there's anything you want to get out of life, anything in particular, you know, to do that, it required three things, hard work, determination, and above all, a high degree of personal control. So I, I would think that I knew best and I would push, demand, persuade, force, manipulate, control, trying to get things to go my way and the way I wanted them to go. The problem was things were rarely in my control. I mean, we really can't control life very much, can we? So yes, true. <laughs> I, was, I was continually, I, I had a few achievements, but they weren't very great victories. And mostly I was always just frustrated and angry trying to, you know, wrangle life and make it go the way I wanted it to go. 
And in the meantime, not only was I kind of unhappy and getting unhappier as the years went by, but because I was so pushy and demanding and thinking I knew best, you know, I was making all my friends and family miserable as well. (laughs) So eventually, when I was about 36, I got confronted by this. People were starting to say, hey, Steve, you know, you you need to back off. Uh, Let go. This isn't your problem. Let me do my job. Uh, You don't know everything. You don't know what's best. And, and just relax and, and, and let go. And some people say, let go and let God just, you know, it'll all work out. Yeah. Well, I didn't believe that at all. Right. <laughs> I said, you know, if, if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself and you have to make sure you're in control every step of the way. But life did seem very difficult to me at that point. I, I was getting uh, tired. I'd say I was not burnt out by living life this way, but it was, it's exhausting to feel like you have to control every little aspect of your life. Yes. So one day, uh, this, this, I'm going to leading up to the experience of the flow here, <laughs> an, actual, <laughs> an actual experience. One day, <laughs> yeah. I was uh, on uh, the highway going to work, and I was stuck in traffic. Now, normally, big deal, so you're stuck in traffic, you can get to work late. But on this particular day, it was really important that I get there at 9 o'clock right on the dot. Because this is this was back in the 1980s. We didn't have cell phones. Uh, there, you know, We didn't have a good way to communicating things. And so at, at this point, there was a man I was supposed to meet at my office right at nine o'clock. And I couldn't get there any earlier to see him because he was going to be in a meeting. And if I got there later, I would miss him because right at nine, he said he was going to be heading down the elevator and rushing out the building to go catch a plane for a business trip. So I had to be there at nine so we could exchange some really crucial information for each other. And there was no email. There was, <laughs> you know, back in those days, you just had to actually hand, hand a person a sheet of paper. So I'm sitting in traffic and I'm looking at my watch and I'm realizing, oh my God, we're not going to make it. I am not going to make it in work in time. I don't see how I can possibly make this meeting and it's very important. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I could do what I usually do. I could try to control the situation. I could get off the highway and I could race through the, the, you know, side streets, you know, I don't know, knocking school children (laughs) out of the road, right and left. I could do a lot of that. And I (laughs) said, but you know, that's what people are telling me not to do. They're telling me to let go (laughs) and and kind of go with the flow. I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess I'll try it this time. I'm just going to sit here and go with this slow flow of traffic and see what happens. So sure enough, I got to work 15 minutes late. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, this worked great. I let go. I didn't control the situation. And now I've missed the meeting. And, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't going to work. Well, I punched the elevator button for this high-rise building I worked in. And when the elevator door opened, the man I needed to meet was standing right there. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, my gosh, this is, I'm 15 minutes late. To the, I've got to get to the airport. My meeting went long. But here, here, I'm glad to see you here. Here's, your, here's the paper you need. And I gave him what I had for him. And he rushed out of the building. Right. And I sat there thinking, Wow. You know, if I had gotten there a few minutes earlier, I would have missed him because he would have been on a different elevator going a different direction than I was. If I'd gotten there a minute later, he would have been out of the building and gone and I would have missed him. I actually, because of the way the traffic went, got there at exactly the right time. I was at the right place at the right time. And I thought, oh, maybe that's what they mean by, you know, go with the flow. You let go, relax, don't control things and it'll work out. So I didn't draw a big conclusion from that. It seemed like, well, that's a nice coincidence that things really worked out that time. But what happened is that uh, about a week later, I had another incident 
where I was kind of scheduled to be in three places at the same time accidentally. And I couldn't do all these things. I was worried about what I should do. I said, I guess I could do this or I could do that. I could push this. I could change this. I could manipulate this. But instead, I kind of said, you know, maybe I should just relax and uh, not worry about this conflict of, of meetings and just maybe go get a cup of coffee and, and then deal with this later or something. I didn't know what to do, but I felt like the, the, the thing to do is go get a cof- cup of coffee. So I did. And when I got back to my desk, my secretary said, oh, Steve, by the way, so-and-so called and they canceled their meeting and another person wants to move the meeting with you to a different time. Will that work? And I thought, oh my gosh, that solves everything. If I had not gotten a cup of coffee, if instead I'd called this person, done that, and this, done the other that I was thinking of doing, I just would have made the situation even worse. So again, by me kind of not doing anything, (laughs) everything worked out. And I thought, wow. And again, I won't go into it. A few days later, another thing like that happened. That, That year, when I was, that would have been about 1986 and I was about, and I was 36, my whole view of life kind of changed. For the first time, by me not trying to, as we say in Texas, take the bull by the horns, just just kind of let go and, and sense what's my next right thing to do. And maybe that thing to do is nothing. You know, everything worked out. And my whole view of life changed where I began to believe, wow, you know, I had been feeling that the, that the world was always working against me and I had to force, push and manipulate my way to get what I wanted. But instead... I'm seeing that the whole world is working for me. You know, we, we live in a beneficent universe that is continually, you know, working on our behalf to help us with, with, with life, with, with what we need and what we want and, and uh, what our heart's desires are. So I, I came to believe in that time of a really, uh, that the universe is a really helpful, loving, supportive place if, if you learn how to recognize and cooperate what it's doing on your behalf. Wow. It sounds like the flow in the way you describe, it can become a healing tool very much, right? Well, it'll, it'll heal you of a lot of stress and strain that you have. Right. <laughs> it, it, cert- it certainly takes away a lot of, of tension. And as the years went by, I'd have to say that, you know, I'm, I'm naturally, uh, let me put it this way, I'm not, nat- I wasn't born this way, but I was conditioned by my parents to be, you know, controlling, fearful, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. <clears throat> so that's always my tendency to do that. Mm-hmm. But by experiencing the flow and then coming to trust it, I, those periods are, are further apart from each other and they don't last very long. Like I'll get worried about something says, oh no, this is bad. I need to do something about this. But then I'll remember, oh, wait a minute, Steve, uh, don't forget the universe is working on your behalf. Do you really need to do something right now? Uh, what should you do? Maybe you should do nothing. And so I've learned how to quiet down, slow down, uh, get in touch with my inner wisdom and and uh, take what I consider to be the next right step. And it takes away a lot of tension and anxiety, really. And it always works out. Yes. Yeah. Well, that sounds so good. What would be the difference between a coincidence and a flow? Uh, a coincidence to me is a sign of the flow. Like when you're, when you're paying attention to what's going on, uh, around you in life, you know, to be, to be aware of the, the presence of the flow, there's three things that, that you're going to notice one, that if, if you do get quiet, there'll be this inner sense of maybe something that you need to do or not do, or what's right or not right. Mm-hmm. You'll also begin to notice coincidences around you and coincidence to me are, are very significant. I think there are some that are, are not significant. 
some people say there's no coincidences. It's all, uh, you know, in some kind of divine order. Right. And I, I kind of disagree with that. I, I think if you go to a party and there's four Steves in the room, it's like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> it's meaningless. Yes. It doesn't mean anything. Yes. But if you do pay attention to coincidences, you'll see that a lot of those do have meaning and you do need to take the time to say, well, that's funny. Is that meaningful to me? And what I've discovered is that if you uh, are really paying attention over time, you will see that a coincidence will line up with some other kind of something that someone has said. It'll line up with kind of what you've been thinking or what you've been feeling. And so you feel like you're getting a lot of uh, corroboration about what your next step is in life. You know, what, you know, where you should go next and how you should solve this problem or how you should get to where you want to go. There'll be multiple things happening uh, within a short period of time to feel like, oh, I get it. I'm being really guided and and moved by the flow in this particular direction because this coincidence happened and that happened and this person said this thing and I've been feeling this way anyway. And they all come together to kind of give you a clear signpost of this is the way to go. This is the thing to do. So coincidences to me are a very uh, significant way that the universe communicates with you as to what your next right step is. Right. You mentioned um, several times, and I read in your book, about the heart's desires. How do we know what are the heart's desire? Is that an individual desire, or they are uh, universal heart desires? The, uh, it's kind of both, uh, and that's a very good question, by the way. I do say heart's desires, and a lot of times I get away from that. I just, I'll talk about things like, well, I need to get to a meeting on time. Is that a heart's desire? Uh, well, th- that probably is not so much. It's almost like the universe will help you with lots of little things, but the main thing it's concerned with is a heart's desire. And here's what I believe about heart's desire. I believe that for most everything that you think that you want in life, usually the bigger, bigger things, mm-hmm. there's an underlying desire of the heart that motivated that idea. And I consider your heart kind of your spirit, your soul or your, your inner, well, your soul, your inner spirit, right. which I believe is connected to uh, God or to the universal intelligence that, that we call God. So deep down within you, there's something that your spirit wants, that your soul wants. But it's different from a lot of things that we usually say we want because we get in our mind, we, we change what our heart wants into something very specific. In other words, you might think you want a particular house. You see this house, you say, oh, I love that house. I want that house. Well, is the universe going to help you get that house? It might, because that house could represent to your spirit something it's been wanting to experience, such as experience of a creative outlet through landscaping or through interior decorating. On the other hand, mm. when you see that house and you think you want a house, your spirit could be, think, could be motivating the idea, well, I'm trying to communicate to you that you should get married and have a family, that, mm. you, that, uh, that you want to experience love. Mm. And so it, you may not be guided to that house. And if you try to force it, you may be unhappy with the house that you get. It may not be guiding you that way. The flow may be guiding you towards meeting somebody and, and getting married, having children, and raising a family, and that's all it was trying to do. And you misinterpreted it. So what I would say about the desires of the heart, that there's really three things uh, that they have. One, it's usually about an experience of life, not so much a thing like a boat or a car or a house. Mm -hmm. It's always for the greatest good of everyone, not just you, 
because it is a universal thing. Right. We're, we're all kind of one in the universe. All our spirits are connected, and it's not going to guide you towards something if it would hurt another person. Uh, so everybody has to benefit. And a lot of times what your spirit wants is even greater and grander than what you think you want. You know, we do, we think we have great grand ideas, but actually I think our egos kind of limit us to a degree. And we think, well, I can't get that. So you don't even dream about that big goal, but your spirit knows, no, you can do that. You can have that. So it, it thinks greater and grander thoughts than you do. But the problem is, you know, that, that idea, that, that desire has to bubble up into your brain and our brains, our egos can corrupt that idea. It can turn it into anything, good, bad, small, different. So it really takes um, a little bit of introspection to feel like I'm on the right track and I think I know what I want. But, but here's the beautiful thing, uh, Valeria. Yeah. You do not have to really know whether a desire is from your ego or whether it's a heart's desire or whether you've taken a, a pure desire and turned it into something impure and, and not what's best for you. <clears throat> because being in the flow is all about taking the next right step. And so if you learn how to pay attention to your intuition, uh, listen to what other people have to say, look for divine signs and synchronicities, and then feel you're really taking the next right step, it'll always be towards the right thing. It won't be towards the wrong thing. And right. a lot of the times you'll find you really thought that house was for you. All the signs seem to say it's the right thing. But really, if you're in the flow, you may find yourself being guided and moved away from that house and being moved into something entirely different. So you don't really have to know. You just have to stay in the now moment, take the next right step you're being guided to take and move to wherever that's moving you. And that will always be towards your heart's desire or something that represents that. Yeah. Hmm, I like that, Steve. I often think about situations where I couldn't accept what was happening and I chose to be grateful and appreciative for the things I had. And that changed everything, literally everything. With that in mind, you said there is a flowing stream that is guiding us toward the fulfillment of our hearts. So two questions based on this. How can we practice the understanding that difficult situations are also part of the flow of life? Question two, more specifically, how could parents who have lost their child or children understand that specific situation? That's a, that's a great question. Let me break that down into two parts. You really are only talking about one thing, disastrous situations, but let me go ahead and throw this out right now. You know, there are a lot of situations that are not disastrous, but they are challenging, right? Yeah. And, and we hit a challenging situation and we don't like it. Yeah. We don't like it. We don't want the challenge. We don't want to have to deal with whatever that is. <clears throat> and you might think, well, then I'm not in the flow. Obviously, the flow is supposed to be, you know, easy and graceful and everything falls into place. And and now I'm struggling with this situation, so I must be out of the flow. Right. But one thing I have discovered is really not in my first book. I put it in my uh, second book. I call it purposely choosing challenges. And what I mean by that is that we may get in touch with a desire of the heart that's pretty big and grand and, and, uh, and nice. However, we may not, not be the kind of person at that point in our life that can handle it. Mm -hmm. You may not have the skills you need to achieve it. And even if you did achieve it and, and reach that destination down the stream, you might not be able to hold on to it. In other words, you might, 
you might need to in your life mature in some way, emotionally or mentally or spiritually. And so what will happen is that your your spirit, your heart's desire will actually be to move you into a situation where you can grow. Right. So that makes sense. You might be in a challenging situation and think, well, I'm out of the flow. Says, no, actually, you're in the flow. Says, you you really need to go through this so that you can be the kind of person that can actually fulfill a heart's desire later in life. And maybe not that much later, but, you know, later. Yeah. So that's one thing. So the, I would call those challenging situations, but I would not call that a disastrous situation. Okay. Here's what I believe about that. And it's not what a lot of people say. <clears throat> In fact, a lot of the places I speak, I always kind of startle them when I talk about this because they have a different idea. Most of the places I, I speak are churches. And I talk about the flow as a divine flow and, and this guidance of the flow is, is God guiding you. Yeah. Well, in these churches, they're usually called unity churches. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of unity or yes. religious science, but it's, it's, they're considered new thoughts, not really Unitarian. That's a little, that's a little different. Mm-hmm. But these churches, they have a saying that a lot of the people subscribe to. And what it, they say is, it's all good. It's all good. So like you said, there's a mother, or a parent loses their child in an accident. It's all good, or it's all good because it's all God. They'll say that. You know what? I do not believe that at all. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> Here's why. Yeah. I believe in free will. And free will I define as the freedom to ignore divine guidance. <laughs> oh. we, I believe we're always being guided. We're always being told the next right step to take through our own intuition and through these other means I've been talking about, but we don't always follow that. We ignore it, we overrule it, and we do other things. Well, don't you think that if you continue to ignore divine guidance over and over and over again, eventually there's going to be a consequence? There's going to be something happen that is not divinely designed for you, is not not divinely directed to be in your life. You're going to run into a wall. There's going to be an accident. Something bad can happen from that. So I never really say that it's all good, but what I do say and what I have discovered over time is that no, not everything is good, but it can be good. That's, that's the biggest difference. Just that little word can be, because I find that the universe can, is continually taking whatever choices we made, no matter how bad they are and tries to make good from that. It, it gives us a next right step that'll move us towards something where some good can come from that. The way I put it in my book, and that, that this part was in my book, it was um, everything can be a stepping stone to your higher good. That doesn't mean everything is a stepping stone to your higher good. Mm-hmm. But once you've made a choice, even if it's a really bad one and it's been a disastrous consequence, good can still come from that. E- that everything can be a stepping stone to your higher good if you're willing to see it that way. That means if you're willing to have an open mind, stop judging, get in touch with your next right step and follow your guidance from there. I'll give you one little example of this. Everything can, uh, good can come from it because there are some situations that are so bad. You think, well, how can good come from it? And it's sometimes not, not direct good in, in the situation of, uh, of, a let's say, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a real example in life. There was a woman, I believe her child was maybe just, I don't know, very young. She was outside playing with a, a ball and the ball rolled into the street. And this little child runs out in the street to, to get the ball. And she got hit by a drunk driver who was coming down the street and killed. Wow. Now, people will say, well, it's 
it happens for a divine reason. <laughs> you mm. know, everything happens for a reason. And I'll, and I would say sometimes the reason, <laughs> the reason is we're not paying attention and we're doing the wrong thing. It's not all a divine reason, but with the help of the divine, something good can come from it. But maybe not directly. This woman who lost her child in this way ended up starting, uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Have you heard of that organization? No, I have not. It's quite old now. It started in the United States many, many years ago, but it's called MAD, M-A-D-D. She got really mad about how a drunk driver was enabled to hit her child. And this drunk driver had been pulled over by the police for drunk driving many, many, many times. And he was never arrested and his license was never taken away. So she actually, even though she grieved over her child and could not bring her child back to life, of course, and could not get uh, uh, her grief satisfied in that way, she did end up changing laws in this country mm-hmm. to where now it's very much more difficult if you've had a, if you're a drunk driver to continue to hold on to your license and if something really bad has happened to ever drive again. Interesting. So she, so the good that came out, out from it was just from the universe directing her to say, you know what, you could do this, you could do this, you could start this organization and you could at least pr- help prevent other children from losing their lives in the future. But, but the point I want to come back to is that I don't think it was destined for the child to run out in the street and get killed by this man. The right. child does what childs do. They chase their ball. But the drunk driver chose to drive even though he was intoxicated. And that is not being in the flow. That is consciously going against what his divine guidance is. Because you, you can bet that God was not saying, oh, you're drunk. Go, go drive your car. <laughs> right, right. What you just said is interesting to me. Children do what they do. They play, they just, um, they are more spontaneous, they take more risks, right? But I also see that a lot of adults, they still act like children. And they do what they do for a reason, because they have not learned certain lessons in life. So they very much act like children. Like we do what we do, and we get in trouble, and then, you know, some of us learn lessons, some don't. And that's a mystery, why some of us don't learn the lesson with suffering. You talk about divine flow, so use the word divine. What is your definition of God? Yeah, that's that's a good one. In fact, I've had, uh, <clears throat> I wrote this book and I went to a kind of a book fair once and a lady came up to me and said, you mentioned God in your book. And I said, yeah, I'm just about on every other page. And she said, well, I don't want your book. And then she stormed away. Wow. And now this was a kind of a new agey type book uh, fair book. Uh, fair where they were selling books and crystals and other things. Yeah. And I thought, that's funny. This woman walked away because I mentioned God. And I'll bet if we talked, she'd realize that we have the exact same definition for God. I just happened to use that word because I don't have any preconceived notions about it. Most people, when they hear the word uh, God, are thinking of uh, a being for one thing, some kind of supernatural being uh, sometimes a man with a beard and sitting on a throne and making judgments and helping some people, not helping others or judging uh, like that. I have never thought that since a child. I, I heard that you know description of God when I was little, before the age of 12 even, and I just thought, you know what? I don't think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I just that doesn't make any, any sense. Uh, I don't you know that sounds like we're we're making God in our image rather than the other way around. Uh, we just can't conceive of anything else, and so we put him in a body and made him a him. I have always thought since a child that God is energy, always Mm -hmm. an all pervading energy that exists throughout the universe, 
in everything, through everything, but it has qualities. It, it's intelligent, uh, it's loving, and, and it's creative. And, uh, and it is love itself. And so my actual definition for God, which I actually, uh, I don't think is in any of my books. I think I finally put it in a blog post once, but it's the, um, the creative, intelligent energy that is love. I think God is an energy of love that's intelligent, aware, uh, and creating. So I, I believe that this energy that all pervades everything, that there's a spark of that, that, that our souls, that's what it is. It's an individual part of that, an expression of that, or a piece of that. And so we're all connected by that, by that energy within. And so the guidance that we get from our intuition is really our, uh, the part of the divine within us, that part of that divine, intelligent, creative, loving energy within us telling us, you know, the next right thing to do. Right. So, uh, but it makes, you know, people are like, it, it makes us kind of, uh, what's, I don't know what the word is, not schizophrenic, but we're like two people. You know, you've got this loving spirit, creative, intelligent within you that is really the real you, but it has to bubble up through this brain, which has been conditioned to be fearful and, uh, you know, self-centered and selfish and, and thinks it's on its own and has to do things by itself. Uh, that's, I call that the ego. And so we've got those two things battling within us all the time. The spirit saying, well, all we want to do is love this person. And the ego's thinking, you know, something totally different. So right. being in the flow is about trying to get that ego mind out of the way and getting in touch with what our spirit is trying to tell us to do. Um, I don't know if we are all good. I believe everything can be good or bad, if I can use these words. Like there's the opposite for everything. And, right. and I think becoming aware that we are capable of horrible things and we are also capable of incredibly beautiful things. I think it's important to be aware of both so we are not caught by surprise. I don't like the idea of thinking that we are all good, entirely good. I, I agree with you. We're not entirely good because that's, that's kind of the point I'm making, if I could clarify that a little bit. Yes. Uh, in fact, I should go back to tell you that Without going to the experience for, for the people listening, I did have what's called a mystical experience when I was 14, and I did get a, directly, a direct experience of what I'd say was my soul. And people, mostly people know what soul is. So you're your soul or your spirit or this inner part. And I got to tell you, that part of me, that, that's, that's, that, uh, that energy of spirit within me, it is all good, totally all good. Mm. However, you've got this body, mind, personality, and conditioning that chooses to do things otherwise, and that is not all good. You know, it's, it's, our, it's our challenge in life to, to sense what's right and do that, but we, we don't. And so, right, we are capable of two quite different things. But I would say this, all good comes from the spirit within you, and anything that you consider not good or destructive and harmful, hurtful, that's coming from our, what you call the ego part of the mind. That's doing that. And that part of the mind is cut off from spirit, is not at all uh, trying to see what the right thing to do is. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's disconnected from the spiritual guidance we have from within. Yeah. So that's why you have a lot of horrors and people doing horrible things. They are not connected to the good that is within them. So I think this, the good is there and that good is all good, but we ignore it and do something different. So it's like we're two different people. All yes, the time. right. There's a divided Divide. force That's a good yeah, word. inside of us. That's a good word, yeah. You spoke of love. So I want to ask you, what is your definition of love? Oh, that's a good one. Hmm. 
don't know if I've ever been asked that before. Mm. You know, lo- I, I know there's a love, I would say, is not really a feeling. Love is really a state of being. And it's really where everything in this state of being is connected. It's kind of getting in touch with this idea that this universal uh, energy that we call God is, uh, is within everything. And so when you are in this state of love, you are really connected to everything. And that means connected to all people. Mm-hmm. And so other people become just another part of yourself, so to speak. And that that results in you doing things that we call loving uh, because you would be more compassionate and understanding and, and kind to other people because you actually are sensing them as being just another part of yourself. Mm-hmm. You would treat everybody else the way you know you would treat yourself because they are in this spiritual realm and this uh, spiritual dimension, just another part of you. So in the end, I guess you could say that actual love is just a sense of unity of all things, but it results in in compassion, uh, kindness, caring, and things that we call uh, love. I like that very much. Kind of goes back to what I deeply believe with compassion. If we are connected, we have the sense of connectivity with everything and everyone, we will be more tolerant and we'll, we will accept others the way they are or life the way it is. Um, it's not easy. To be able to be compassionate and understanding, that means you're able to love. Compassion comes from understanding the opposites. Oh, yeah, uh, totally. Uh, you know, and it, the wonderful thing about, in fact, just understanding alone creates so much uh, good uh, in your circumstances. Yeah. Uh, I'll t- can I tell you a little story? Yes. About, about one time I really experienced that on a direct level. <clears throat> there was a man, uh, uh, what I'm getting at is that it makes life go better. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, things, things that you get involved with in life are, go better when you are a loving individual. And here's one little example of this. In my business career, there was one man that we were always fighting. We were always butting heads together, uh, always disagreeing. And I remember thinking, oh, this guy has to be the smartest man in the room. And and he always wants to change my work and make it bad. You know, I had this great thing and he's messing with it and ruining it. And it was that way all the time, you know, month after month, year after year. And so... One day I got in this thing where I was doing what I call forgiveness work and, and I was going down my grudge list of people that I was, was resentful about. And I thought, oh, I need to forgive that guy for doing that. And I started thinking about him. And all of a sudden I realized, you know, I'd said that he had to be the smartest person in the room. I realized, oh, wait a minute, that's the way I am. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to be the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And said, no wonder we're butting heads. There can't be two smartest people in the room. <laughs> there can only be one, one and we both want to be it. So that's why we're having so much trouble. So I, I went beyond that. I began to think, well, I know why I'm that way. You know, I'm that way because my parents tended to, uh, I was the baby of the family. I was born like 17 years, years later than my sister. Yeah. And so they always treated me like a baby. They never really listened to me or, you know, they just treated me like a baby. They never let me kind of grow up and have my own ideas and thoughts, and they never respected those. So I had this big energy of trying to convince people 
how much I knew and you should listen to me and, and all this kind of stuff. And I get, began to think about that guy and I just thought, you know what? I bet he had the same upbringing. I bet he had the same kind of parents. Something happened in his life where people really weren't respecting him and listening to his ideas. So he became very pushy about that yeah. and felt like he had to really force himself into every situation to be the smartest one, to have the answers and to know, know everything and be the, be the top dog in the room. Right. And when I understood that, uh, that, that's the feeling that came up. says, oh, I understand that. I'm that way. I became very understanding. And, and, and more compassionate for him. Well, what happened is the next time we got together in a meeting, I'm thinking every other time we've met, he's wanted to destroy my work and change it and do something that I felt made it bad. He walked into that room and for the first time ever, when he came in, I just looked at him with this understanding. I just felt like, oh, I understand you. It wasn't a big loving feeling. It was just that little bit of understanding. He comes in. And he sensed that, I believe, because we never had a problem again. Mm. I presented my work. He said, that sounds good. Great. Wow. <laughs> he never, he, he didn't have to defend himself. He didn't have to push because someone in the room finally was actually listening to him and had an understanding of him and a little bit of compassion towards him. Mm -hmm. And so it completely changed our relationship. And then, you know, the way my work went after that. Yeah. So it takes change in ourselves so others can change as well, right? That's, creating that's the, the environment for change. Yeah, a little bit of loving kindness goes a, a really a long, long way. It doesn't have to be a, a giant display of love. Just just yeah. the least bit of, of, of understanding can transform an entire situation. Yeah, true, Steve. Very true. You wrote that in order to avoid the number of obstacles that can restrict our ability to take full advantage of the divine flow, we must be able to answer yes to five questions. What are these questions and why are they so important? Okay. You want to go through the five questions? All right. <laughs> uh, one of them is a really uh, a big topic. The, the first question I put in the book uh, about this was, if you have a desire in mind and you're, you're, you're hoping it's a heart's desire and you just think, you know, I've done my best to think this is what I want out of life. You've really got to get honest with yourself and ask yourself, do you really want to go where you say you do? Do you really want that? A lot of people are really not honest with themselves. And some, this is such a big thing that there's some people who have devoted their entire uh, careers and counseling to this subject. Of, of getting and uh, helping people understand that deep down inside, they've got this negative subconscious programming that is preventing them from getting what they want. Hmm. Uh, so you say you want something, but deep down inside, you really don't. And if you don't, you will sabotage yourself into not getting what it is you say you want. Uh, you'll, you'll just take actions to that'll go against uh getting what you say that you want to do. Let me, let me give you a story about this because this is a really good little story. I met a man or I knew a man and I got to know him more over time. His name is Stephen, like mine, but it's still with a P-H-E-N. So Stephen, uh, I'm V-E-N. Anyway, Stephen, uh, he uh, was in a class that I used to teach and he had a lot of creative ideas and some things he wanted to uh, present to the class and have them come over to his house and he was going to perform these uh, different things. Music was one of them. I can't remember what the second one was, but they were things that the class would actually enjoy, and I knew they'd want to do them. 
and uh, he was going to charge money for it. And the reason he was, he said, look, I don't have a lot of money and I need to make more money. And I have this talent of doing this one thing. And I think if people in the class would come over and pay me a little bit for this, a little, you know, $10 or something, they'll all enjoy their, their experience that evening. And I agreed. I said, yeah, that does sound good. And I'd like to come too. So I said, here's what you need to do. You've got two weeks to advertise your event to the class. So just next week when you come to class, you know, Xerox off some, a piece of paper and hand it out to the class that says, you know, what the event is, you know, what's your address, you know, how much it costs and, you know, hand it out to everybody. So the next Sunday comes, this was a class I taught on Sunday mornings at a church. <clears throat> he comes and I say, oh, Stephen, it's time to, uh, pass out your uh, flyers for your event. And he said, oh, 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 oh yeah. I, oh, no, I didn't get around to that this week. I didn't do it. I said, oh, okay. Well, that's okay. You got one more week. You know, next week, come and bring the flyers. So uh, the next week, he didn't come to class at all. Oh, no. I said, okay. So I kind of told people what the event was and where it was. But, you know, people don't have paper and pencils with them. So they're not writing anything down. And uh, then the event comes up and I get a call from him after the event after that evening. He says, hey, no one shows up. There's nobody here. Mm. I said, well, yeah, Stephen, I mean, I gave you, you had two, two weeks to just Xerox off just where and when it was and what your address is and your phone number and you didn't do it. So nobody really wrote it down. They kind of forgot about it. And, you know, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. And he said, oh, okay. Now, I didn't really think anything about that except that he had another idea for something and he did the same thing again. Mm -hmm. And the more I got to know him over the time, I continued to see him say that he wanted to make money. He had an idea how to do it. And he, then he would sabotage the event. He would sabotage it himself. Self-sabotage is what we're talking about. Right. Right. So uh, getting to know him, I found out something, two things. One, I believe that he had a different idea about life than I did. His idea was life is about suffering. And when I say that, I mean, he was talking about he wanted to be spiritual and to grow spiritually, you need to suffer. And I would say to that, yes, you do grow through suffering. And yes, we do suffer. But it's not all, not all about that. Like, I think a lot of suffering is is, is because uh, it's self-imposed, self-imposed right. suffering. We suffer a lot more than we need to because of things that we do and choices that we make. I agree. But, but he's thinking, I've got to suffer to be spiritual, and above all, I want to be spiritual. So I learned that fact. Then I learned another thing about him was that he believes that when you make money, and this is probably true, but it's, you know, when you make money, you've got to give some of it to the government <laughs> through taxes. And the government spends it on things that you might not like. You know, you might be against the military and they might spend a good portion of your tax money on the military and you don't like that. So he didn't like that. He didn't like giving his money through taxes to a government that might do something with it that he didn't like. So here's a man that had two ideas. A, you've got to suffer. Life is suffering. And if you make money, you're going to give it to the government and they're going to do something bad with it. So I ask you, do you think that man was going to allow him to succeed, allow himself to succeed financially? No, because it would be going against his two underlying beliefs. Right. He didn't want people to come to his party because he, he wouldn't be suffering. He'd be succeeding. And also <laughs> the money he'd make, it have to go, part of it would go to the government, which he didn't want it to do. Yeah. So he, he, he self-sabotaged himself, but didn't realize he was doing it. 
And that's just a little example of what people do all this all the time. So you really, before you take any step in life about, you know, I want this or I want that, you better <clears throat> do a little, uh, get honest with yourself, do a little self-analysis and, 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 and be introspective and decide, is that really true? I mean, I even did that to myself once that I, that I knew of. I, um, I used to tell people I wanted to get promoted at work. I want to get promoted. I want promote, I should be promoted. <clears throat> and I never got promoted a year after year didn't get promoted. <clears throat> Finally I did. And when I did, I looked back over the previous years and I realized I didn't want to get promoted back then. <laughs> All I wanted was the title, the money and the respect. But you know what I didn't want? The responsibility. Right. Mm. <laughs> I didn't. It was only when I had grown. I'd been there a number of years. I was already doing some very responsible things, and I was willing to take on the responsibility that they offered me the promotion. So I, you know, but I would tell people that's what I wanted. I want to get promoted. I, I want to. That's what I really want. I need that. I deserve that. Mm-mm, not true at all. Right. I did not want that because then I'd have to be in a responsible position, and I feared that. But you know, that was only in hindsight that I realized that truth about myself. Yeah. That's true. We put out there um, ideas that we would like to pursue, but uh, we ended up not doing it. And might be what you said. Uh, they are subconscious beliefs that they are stopping us. Another thing that I, I wanted to mention is about energy. We are energy. So a lot of people, they have a lot of it. Addicts, they have a lot of energy, hence yeah. energy. But then there are other people who don't have a lot of energy. Mm. What do you think about that? Well, I believe uh, I have to think about the addict thing for a minute because I I've always thought that the the source of of real energy that's motivating and it feels good uh, comes from uh, your spirit within that that's your true life force right. and the closer you are to being uh, in touch with that you know the more enthusiasm uh, that you have for life and the more you want to get up and go and, and do things the uh, the attic kind of energy, I'm not so sure what that is. Is that true energy? I don't know what that is exactly. Everybody's studying that, trying to find out even what addiction is, the cause of addiction and what, what is exactly. It's just I, highly I can speak intense. To that. I can speak to that, but maybe not on an energetic level. Because I, I do. it is my belief that the biggest fear that we have that we don't know that we have, that we don't admit to ourselves a lot, is that we're really all alone in this world and in this universe on your own and you've, and you've got no help. There is really no, other than maybe people around you that might, might help you or might just get in your way, there's really no universal God-like uh, support for you. So you're really kind of lost and alone in a giant universe trying to survive. Yeah. And anybody who has that feeling, who doesn't have any kind of connection at all to the idea that the universe is kind of a nice place and is helpful if you let it be, there's such a fear level there mm -hmm. that they result to addictive behaviors or they'll pick something to uh, dull that fear. Right. So I, I, I personally believe that all addictions come from a, being cut off from a source of well-being, of being part of the universe and come from a total feeling of separation from everything and being on your own. And it's so fearful, you just want to dull the fear through alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. I'm curious to know, what is the difference between obsession and addiction? Uh, I don't know if I have an answer for that right off the bat. Okay. Addiction. Yeah. Well, you know, obsession to me seems a little more, uh, 
you, but your consciousness that you're continually thinking about something that's where you dwell in your mind whether addiction is to me is like an an act something that you do so I don't know if that's accurate or not. But. Yeah, I don't know. An obsession can be, you can put into practice too. Like you can be obsessed with work, obsessed with peace, obsessed with love, with good things. And then, um, oh, yeah. yeah, great things could come out, out of it and sometimes uh, bad things. Right. Well, it would, it, it would distract you from the wholeness of life, I think, a little bit. If you're too obsessed over one thing, mm. you're blocking out everything else. So it, it you know, it, it's possible that, an obsession with something, even if it seems like it's a good thing, is really uh, keeping you from avoiding, again, your oneness. It's, it's almost like an addiction in a way. It's a way of escaping, you know, re- it's an escape. It could be an escape. Yeah. But kind the, of a guess on my part. Yeah, the interesting thing about it, great things have happened because someone was obsessed by an idea and then they transformed the way systems work. In a way, they have a purpose too. Almost that this, this powerful energy that right. seemed to be destructive sometimes can embody uh, here yeah, that's on true. Earth just to do what it's supposed to do. Right, right. Yeah, and that way, obsession is just is just perseverance, and just you know, you really uh, uh, something as such as a str- it could be a total soul soul's purpose, like you said. Yeah, uh, I believe that our souls do have some specific purposes or some bigger purposes. Uh, but they, uh, well, hmm, you know what? I, I won't say I'm obsessed over this idea of the flow, but it certainly became my purpose. You know, I decided long ago that said that it's my purpose. If I have a soul's purpose, it, it was to communicate to people that we live in a in a beneficent universe, a good universe that's working on your behalf, not the other way around. Mm. And I I've spent uh, that was you know what I learned in in 1986, and I'm still talking about it. Right. So. I would I wouldn't use the word obsession about it. Is that it's my uh, mission or my you know focus? I use words like that. My mission, my focus, uh, what brings me the most, <clears throat> what I'm most interested in. But I but obsession seems to go beyond that. But uh, I can see how that can be a good thing if somebody's really determined to go down a particular path. They can g- create great scientific discoveries. Yes. Even. Right, and sometimes sacrificing their own well-being. Right. Yeah, well, that's not that. I I believe that's not a good thing, actually. That's like, and and then uh, it, it kind of comes back. You you do have to look at is it for the good of all people? Uh, I don't know that the flow ever directs you to be obsessed about something that's going to harm other people in your family, uh, your friendships, and things like that. Uh, there, there 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 are. Let me put it this way: I believe there are ways to achieve things that don't do that. Like a person may have be obsessed with something come up with a great idea that helps people and yet they had to get divorced in the meantime, their children don't love them, they lost all their friends, their health is, is declining. That to me is not being in the flow. There was probably a way to have achieved the same thing they did by being in the flow. What about if, if that person who was obsessed with one idea right. lost his family, uh, maybe five, six people, and then helped millions? And, and how did he lose the family members? Because, because he was obsessed? Yes, that was a sacrifice. Okay, yeah. then I do have an answer for that. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking about something in particular, but <laughs> yeah. I believe that same thing could have been achieved another way. Hmm. See, remember, there's a destination lying down the stream, and this is the thing he wanted to create that's going to help people. But there's, not, we, there's one way that we can think in our heads to go about doing it, and we can push and demand and cling and make that thing happen. You can make almost anything happen through the force of your own willpower. 
But if you hurt people along the way, I don't think that was the best way to get there. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The goal is the, the end result is great, but there was probably another path to get there where he didn't have to lose his family. There's just another way to do it. You know, uh, I keep thinking of that. The, um, uh, is it Ar- not Neil Armstrong? Uh, who was the bike rider who kept winning all those, uh, great bike tournaments in uh, the Tour de France. He won it over and over and over again. I think it was him. Uh, yeah, I can't remember his first name, though. Me too, it's not, yeah. It's not Neil Armstrong. That's uh, somebody else. But Armstrong. But he, you know, early on, after he won a couple of victories, I began to, what is driving this person? You know, what he, he ended up getting a divorce. Now it turns out it's not even real that he was taking drugs to achieve all that. You know, everybody really admired him, but I began to wonder a long time ago about him before that any of that happened and came out. I thought, right. you know, this doesn't no longer seems like his spirits guiding him. This seems like an ego thing. And he's pushing and demanding to get to achieve this victory. And it's not really what he's designed to do and supposed to be doing. Right. But uh, a little off the point. But I but I will I will come back to saying my personal belief is that if somebody achieves something and yet they have hurt themselves with their health and their mental their mental state and hurt other people along the way, that was not achieving it by being in the flow, that was achieving it by ego, by pushing, demanding, clinging, persuading. You know, you don't always fail at that. I was very successful up to the age of 36. Right. You know, I, I did succeed a lot in, in getting my way. <laughs> right. But that's not to say there wasn't another way to do it. And I did hurt people along the way. And, and I, I don't believe that's uh, what God ever intends, that our spirit will give us a direction to take that will always be in the best interest of everyone or at least not hurt anyone else. It sounds really great the way you put it. And also it's like a perfect world to be in. But what would you say about the story of Jesus Christ? About his suffering? Yes, the, everything that he went through and he <laughs> sacrificed himself. Right, right. He, I'll, I'll tell you what, I do have a, a, an opinion about that. No one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> okay, first time for everything. First time. But I, I, I do have an answer for that because it seems contradictory, right? It seems like if he's praying and meditating all the time and really one with God, he should have a better life. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> However, Notice that he always knew what was going to happen next, didn't he? It was never a surprise, mm. Ramey. He, he always would say, this is going to happen, and we're going to the garden. You're, gonna, you're going to betray me. You know, this is going to happen. He did pray and meditate all the time. He was totally in touch with, with uh, everything, and he knew what was going to happen, but he chose to do it anyway. So these things that, that he went through were not... Uh, results of making bad choices, right. like I've talked about earlier, or, or being an unruly teenager doing what they think and, and getting hurt by that. Hmm. You know, he consciously allowed those things to happen, knowing they were going to happen to make a point. So by, by doing all that, he, he was remembered. Uh, you know, it, it's a story that people couldn't forget. And uh, I, I believe it's uh, a conscious choice on his part to go through that uh, to the people who remember the points that he made, which mainly is that he's eternal. He wasn't really worried about his physical existence so much because he was more identified with his spirit than he was with his body, for one thing. Right. So, we go back to the idea of addiction and obsession with ideas or with, uh, yeah, in our minds. An addict knows that he or she is hurting themselves. They are not afraid right. to die. 
but they still do what they do. Well, yeah, I don't know what that is. Other than that, that the you know the ego that I keep talking about, that part of your your mind is not your friend. <laughs> That's asking. It's, yeah, it, it yeah. doesn't want you to have peace. It doesn't want you to to feel that we're all one. It doesn't want you to love. It's you know really not a, a good. If your thoughts are all coming from that part of your mind. Or that level of your mind would be a better way to put it. Uh, nothing good's going to happen from that. You've eventually got to to uh, be a little bit more directed from your spirit for anything nice to happen. The only thing now is just how do they distinguish, right, the voice? Because a lot of people, they believe that they are doing the right things because they believe that there's a, a lesson that will be taught by them going through that suffering. Well, they, they probably will. They, they certainly do have the opportunity to, to learn a lesson. The question is whether that lesson was put in their li- <clears throat> put in their life by divine design, or just something they've chosen to do, and a lesson can be learned from it. Because yeah, we can learn from everything. I'm just thinking that a lot of things that happen in life that se- that lead to suffering are not part of any divine plan. Yeah, thank you, Steve, for um, expanding <laughs> the conversation with me about all these uh, topics. Sure. So, a question you ask. Are you paying attention to what is going on around you? So why is this question important? If I, you know, I can do actually a four-hour workshop sometimes and, and speak for four hours on the subject and have. Uh, but if I have to boil it down to really two important points, there's two. And, and, and this is one of them. It's really to be in the flow of life. There's only two things you have to do. First, you have to pay attention. And the second one is you have to let go of what you think you know. So this thing about paying attention, uh, that's also in two parts, paying attention to what's going on around you and paying attention to what's going on within you. And I have kind of mentioned this earlier in our talk today, but I'll expand on a little bit. If you are really paying attention, if you are in the now moment, well, let me say this. Here's here's an expression I really love. I can't, I think I did put in the book. There's God and there's not paying attention. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love that thing. Right. When all that's saying is that mm-hmm. if you start paying attention, if you're in the now moment and you're really looking around you and you're not lost in thought, thinking about this, or projecting the future, or reflecting on the past, but you're actually just experiencing the now moment and, and observing what's going on around you, you will sense divine action. You will sense God. You will sense more going on in the universe than you thought was going on. So what I'm saying here is that if you are a person who's paying attention to what's going on around you, you will begin to see signs and synchronicities and things that point you in the right direction that you didn't realize there are there before. Uh, if you're really paying attention, you can get signs through um, TV, through the radio, through things that you read. Uh, sometimes signs are actual signs. For instance, let's say you're wondering, should I do this thing or not? I don't know whether I should do it. Should I do it or not? Okay, if you get out of your head and stop thinking about it and look at the car in front of you, there might be a bumper sticker on there from Nike that says, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing happens to me all the time. And they're not just little coincidences that are one all the time that if you're really paying attention, you see these signs, actual signs or things that you read or things that people are saying to you or coincidences that happen. That are multiple. They're all. It's all the same message over and over. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. Just mm-hmm. do it. And so you get your answer. You're wondering, you know, what's my next right step? And you're getting it. You're getting it through a bumper sticker. You're getting it. You just saw it in a magazine. There was a TV uh, commercial that said, just do it. One of your friends just happened to say, just do it. 
these things, multiple things that happen, give you a clear direction. Now, you don't have any reason to, to believe that's guidance or not until you actually do it and think great things happen, that things fall into place and everything is miraculous. And that's what I've experienced over many years, that just by saying, I think I'm being guided, I think I'm being directed here, and then going in that direction, it's really worked out beautifully. Uh, and that's how my whole book came to be published, as a matter of fact. Mm, but it doesn't mean it will be easy, right? It's I'll tell you what's not easy. What's not easy if you is you if you think about all the stuff that might have to happen to accomplish a goal, that can feel overwhelming. But that's because again, because you're not in the now moment. Uh-huh. The flow only gives you one step at a time. What is this? You do that. What is this step? You do that. It could take a long time. You might you definitely could take time and you might have patience. But it's not necessarily difficult if you just take the little baby step at a time that you're usually given to take. Yeah. I'll give you an example. The way I got uh, my uh, book published, and you would know about publishing because you've published your book, but after I wrote my book, in fact, I wouldn't even finish writing it, uh, I was really afraid about the publishing process. I thought it would be very difficult. I didn't know how to do it. I just wanted to finish writing the book. I was really resistant to knowing any information about publishing until I really at least finished writing the book. Well, one day, out of the blue, my, uh, my, who's my wife now, she's my girlfriend then, she said, uh, hey, Steve, have you ever thought about going to the adult education center in Dallas called Fun Ed? It stands for Fun Education, Fun Ed, yeah. and take a class on publishing. And I'm like, Carol, you know, I don't really want to get into publishing now. I haven't even finished writing my book. You know, that sounds like, uh, I don't want to take a class on publishing. Uh, you know, I don't understand that. We'll, we'll do that later. And it's fun, Ed, anyway. I don't think they even have a class on publishing because it's called fun. It's about doing fun things. Mm-hmm. So I completely ignored her. So I'm driving down the highway, and uh, you know, the next day, and I'm, there's a big billboard, Fun Ed. Go to Fun Ed. Okay, mm-hmm. I ignored that too. But guess what happened the next Sunday? The next Sunday, I go to class, and I hear one of the people in my class talking about, uh, uh, you know, I hear him talking, all of a sudden I hear him mentioning Fun Ed. And I'm thinking, holy smoke, this is Fun Ed being mentioned to me three times in one week. I said, Larry, hey, I heard you mentioning Fun Ed. What, what are you doing at Fun Ed? Or what's with you in Fun Ed? And he said, oh, I'm going to take a class there. I said, really? What, what fun thing are you going to do? Basket weaving or pottery making? He said, what? I said, no, I'm going to take a class called how to publish a nonfiction book. So, so I said, I get it. Mm. I'm being guided to go to this fun ed place. I don't really want to do the publishing now, but let me go. And I'll tell you what, I haven't even finished writing my book, but I went and I not only found out how to publish a book, but the person leading the class ended up being the publisher of my book. And we were able to complete the arrangements and have everything done before I'd even finished writing the book. And I never had to worry about publishing again. It already happened just by me going to that class. Okay. Wow. So that's a, that's a good example of paying attention. My wife said something. I saw a sign. I hear Larry talking. The coincidence of all that happening in one week and the coincidence that the class he's going to take is exactly what I needed to be doing. It was amazing. And that's, that's how the book came to be published. And I, I got equally guided into the, the cover of the book, uh, equally guided to how to get people to endorse the book, equally guided into how to uh, uh, speak about the book. It's really, it was a total flowing experience. It wasn't difficult at all. It, it, it was one step after another, you know, week after week, month after month, year after year. But I wouldn't say it was difficult. It was just long. But there was a flow to it because I tried to stay in a now moment and just do the next right step and not worry about 
all the things in the future that I thought I might have to do or how it might go or what it might happen. That's when life gets difficult, but we're making it all up. It's all in, in our heads. We're just all uh, overwhelmed by what we think is going to be rather than just staying in the now moment and doing what actually is required to do right here and right now. Yes, yeah. Uh, I like that. So the que question four is, um, are you willing to let go of what you think you know? This, I have just one, <laughs> another question for you um, regarding this question. How mm -hmm. can we let go of what we think we know or who we are uh, when that is connected to our personality? How can we safely do that? Okay, I think I have an answer for you. Yeah. Uh, because I do say you've got to let go of what you think you know. However, if I were to be more, a little bit more accurate about it, I would say, look, there's a lot of things you think you know. You have read this. You have experienced it. Other people say it. Uh, there's been uh, books written on it. People teach it. So you have every right to say, you know what? I think I know what I know. And I think I know the answer to this. And I think I know how this always go because it always does go that way. But then what you have to say to yourself, but I don't know it all. I do not know it all. There's always something more to know than we know on any given subject. We are not omniscient. We are not God. We are not all knowing. We may know a whole lot, but there may be one little thing that we do not know. So if you say to yourself, I'm not going to just ignore everything I know, I'm not going to just forget everything I know, but I'm going to have a little bit of willingness to know more than I know. In fact, I'm going to be willing to even be wrong about what I think I know. That willingness is enough to, for all of a sudden you to be open and receptive to knowing more and to being guided in a way that you wouldn't have thought of yourself or in a way that you've been currently blocking because you think you know it all. I know it all, period. If you put a period at the end of that, I know this about that, period. Well, that's it. You're never going to know anything more. And, and, the, and the flow can't guide you into something, into new information that you need to know to move forward because you've closed your mind. So what I'm saying is go ahead and, and, and consider everything you think you know, but just be willing to know more. And that willingness is all it takes for perhaps new information, new ideas, new insights to come to you and for you to be open and receptive to even receiving new information from other sources that'll move you in a better direction. So uh, yeah. it's not it's not forgetting what you know. It's just n not putting a period at the end, <laughs> not yeah. saying I know this about that and there's nothing more to know, period. <laughs> yeah, that right. You'll go nowhere doing that. So being open and being humble. Um, will help yes. a lot in this journey. Yes. Right. Well said. And question five, uh, the last question that, Liz, uh, that you ask is, um, do you know what effortless even feels like? <laughs> yeah. I think uh, we were talking earlier. I'm not sure whether we got into that. I think before the, uh, you and I were talking on the phone before the yeah. uh, podcast. You know, a lot of us, in fact, I was, and probably you were, and, and most people are, yeah. really taught that life is difficult, that life's supposed to be difficult. Like my friend, Stephen, you know, that life is about suffering. Mm -hmm. You've got to suffer. That if you want to get something out of life, it requires hard work. It, you've, you, it requires a lot of perseverance. It's great. You're going to have to, there's going to be odds. You've got to overcome those odds. And a lot of us, 
live our lives that way so much, so long, thinking we have to push, demand, persevere to get life to come out the way we want it to be, we get used to it. We get used to it. You know, that way of life, there's a lot of tension associated with it, anxiety. Uh, Even if it's a low level of tension, anxiety, it's constantly there that, you know, this may not work out for me. I need to do this. I hope this works. I've got to push this. What do I need to do now? You know, we have all those underlying feelings associated with life in general on a day-to-day basis all the time. We get very used to it, so used to it. I believe that many of us aren't looking for an easier way of life. We don't think there is one and we're not even striving to have an easier way of life. You know, I, I wasn't up to the age of 36. I really wasn't. I was doing fine. I wasn't, I wasn't displeased with myself. It was the other people around me that, <laughs> that were saying, Steve, you're getting to be a, an unlikable person. You know, you're too pushy. You're, de- you're demanding. <clears throat> you you want to second guess everybody else's work. It was other people that were telling me I needed to be to, to let go. And, and only then did I realize, yeah, life does seem kind of difficult. It is kind of, I'm always having to push, demand to get my way. Is there really an easier way? I just got alerted to it by others. And only when I started to let go and, you know, let be more guided in life, did I find there is an easier way. So what I'm saying is that, uh, it's hard to, uh, to be a person who's looking to be in the flow. If you're already okay with the way you are right now, if you're okay with attention, anxiety, and you think there's no other way to be, you're probably not going to learn the lessons about the flow. Eventually, you just have to say, maybe there's another way and, and, and try it, which is kind of what I did. Yes, right. This is what you, you um, alert to in your book when you say, roll gently with the flow. And you also say, we cannot avoid turbulence if we don't realize we are in it. it exactly. That's the same idea that you, uh, you don't even realize you're in it because you're just used to it. and You think that's the only way it can be. So you really just have to have an awakening to say, maybe there's another way to live life. Because I didn't believe it. People told me there was, but I didn't believe them until I tried it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You have to try it. Um, And a lot of people, because they're so close-minded, they're not willing to try. And that is um, a bad end. You know, they, they will try it at some point when life gets too hard. But, you know, it's, uh, it, it didn't get to the point where I was beaten down or anything. But for some people, they do. They, they just really, uh, life is just so miserable. They finally uh, do, as they say, let go and like, let God. They get to a point, life is so bad, they say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do now. I'm, I'm, I've, I've done everything. Life stinks. Everything is horrible. Uh, I, I give up. And that's, that's a great place to be. Because what that means is when you finally give up, when you finally say to yourself, I don't know what to do next, there's nothing more I can do, that's when your mind opens and you get guided as to, well, have you tried this? This is what you can do. Because all those other thoughts about are coming from your ego is what to do. You eventually have to get that out of the way. And when you get to that surrender moment, when people are really down on their knees saying, you know, I, I'm beaten down, I give up, I surrender that's when you tend to open up to uh, another way of living and your spirit can get kind of get through to you for the first time. You're not thinking so many thoughts. I should do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. You start thinking anything. You're just like beaten. <laughs> yeah. So, but you don't want to have to get to that point. That's where a lot of people get to and then they discover another way to live. But uh, 
if you can, you you know, you should try it before you get to that point. Yes, I agree. The the problem with that too is values. So a lot of people they value money and being um, successful financially. So they're constantly doing something that it it's hurting themselves and their families, everyone around them. But they are making so much money that they call it success and they won't stop. And that's why they don't they don't consider that to be suffering because they're getting something from it. In my case, it was exercise. I was successful doing what I was doing, getting my body to be in the shape that I wanted to be and be admired for that. So it was hard for me to stop. Oh, definitely. In fact, I I did have that experience. <clears throat> you know, I I didn't write my book until after I got laid off from work. Now, I had been, let's see, that was 2001 where I got laid off, but I had been teaching the principles about being in the flow since uh, the mid-90s. So, you know, six or seven years. But what what I'm getting at is that I would never have quit my job. I was making way too much money to quit. And I think the, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's a divine thing, but when I did get laid off, I realized, you know, I could go right back into work. I could find another job at another place and still continue to make a whole lot of money and do that for many, many more years. Or maybe this is the opportunity I have to really pursue this passion I had for many years to communicate this idea about the flow by writing a book about it. And that's what I chose to do. But the thing is, I wouldn't have had the uh, courage to just quit my job to go do it. I wouldn't have walked in and said, you know what? I'm making a lot of money, but I'm going to quit and make no money and write a book. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it. Uh, <laughs> I got laid off. But, but, I, but I saw the layoff as an opportunity. Now, I worried about it for a, a day or two. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. But then I realized, no, that's the way the flow works sometimes. It's like I, everything can be a stepping stone to a higher good. I'm not going to say the layoff was some kind of part of a divine plan. In fact, I got laid off because of 9-11. Uh, what yeah. happened was uh, after they crashed the uh, American Airlines planes into the Twin Towers in New York, American Airlines said, we're not going to advertise for a couple of years. And that was my main client. That was my main advertising client was American. So I got laid off as a ripple effect of somebody doing some horrible things. I don't think there was any divine plan to that. But once I was laid off, I thought, well, Maybe this is the time to write my book. And I got to tell you what happened. This is uh, interesting. You know, we t I talk about paying attention also to what goes on within you. Yeah. You know, your intuition. Uh, <clears throat> there's lots of ways your, your intuition speaks to you through thoughts, uh, a still small voice experience, just a bodily sensation, uh, dreams. But uh, what happened to me is when I, I was laying in my bathtub after I got laid off, the day after I got laid off, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Uh, I, you know, I make a lot of money and now I'm making no money. And do I just go find another advertising job to do that or what's best for me? This thought occurred, well, I could take off a couple years to write this book. And I got to tell you, the moment I had that idea, there was such a rush of, uh, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. There mm. was, it was a feeling of joy but a bodily sensation of joy. It kind of went from the tip of my toes to the top of my head. <laughs> my body was tingling with enthusiasm and joy yeah. over this idea. Well, I guess I could write that book. And, you know, that feeling was so strong that even the next day where I'm thinking, who am I kidding? I can't not make money for two years. I need, I need to go back to work. <laughs> I would remember that, that feeling. It was so strong and so joyful. I thought this must be my next right step. 
Right. I think I, I think the universe is saying you have an opportunity to do something different, Steve. Why don't you do it now? This is a good time to do it. Don't go back into work because you'll never write that book until you get laid off again. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, I was glad all that happened. And in hindsight, uh, it was like I said, everything can be a stepping stone to a higher good if you want it to be, if you look at it that way. So maybe life was life is constantly listening, and if our, our heart's desire is loud enough, then somehow something will happen. It doesn't have we don't don't need to do something about it. Um, maybe personally, but something will happen. Like in your case, that was the opportunity because you were not able to listen to the to the voice of the heart to have the courage to follow it. That's true. I think two things happen: either the universe does orchestrate things that so that you'll be in the position to move towards your heart's desire or just something will happen because people are making bad choices in life and bad things are happening because they're not listening. Mm. And still the universe says, okay, this was not divinely supposed to happen. You guys made a bunch of terrible choices, but now that it's happened, good can be reached from this. Here's the way to go. It's kind of like, I, I like to think of, you know, the GPS system in your car that it's telling you, go right, go left, go straight one more mile, turn left. Well, if you uh, ignore it and don't do it, what does it do? It just gives you another step. Yeah. It just really says, well, you missed that turn, so now go up two more blocks and take a left. Mm. So it, it just continues to guide you to where you need to go from wherever you are. So that's kind of my point. It doesn't really, you don't really have to know why things happen in life. Was it divinely designed? Or is it just the ripple effect of somebody doing something horrible? It doesn't matter. You know, you're going to be given your next right step from where you are. Just get quiet, go within, see what your intuition says, look around you for signs and synchronicities, and you can move forward from wherever you are. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's very powerful the way you said earlier about unnecessary suffering that it's not suffering, it's not necessary a lot of times um, that we don't know how to distinguish unnecessary suffering from unnecessary suffering. Right, right. It's not, it's not accepting what is, is what it is, I believe. That suffering, you know, there's a lot of things you don't like. Say, I don't like this. But to accept something doesn't mean to say it's okay. To accept something is just to say it is what it is. This is happening and I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah. Suffering comes when you say, it should be another way. Mm. It must be another way. It shouldn't have <laughs> happened. It must not happen. I can't believe it's happening. <laughs> that is suffering. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we do. We, don't, we never just say, oh, that's what it is. I don't like it. What's next? What do I need to do now? We say, you know, I don't like it. It shouldn't have been that way. He caused it. Why did they cause it? He's the reason this has happened. That's... <laughs> yeah. There's no end to that. That's the suffering part. So a lot of good can happen if you just uh, accept what is and then look for your next right step from there. Yeah, yes. Tell me about the song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat and its message. Yeah, when I, uh, I had actually been uh, teaching uh, what I call lessons about living in the flow from like 19, uh, I guess it was 90, uh, 1994 to, uh, mm, uh, let's say at least two or three years. And one day I'm driving down the road <clears throat> and I had a true still small voice experience. I don't know if you, uh, 
the way I describe what that is, you know, you hear people say, oh, I had a still small voice tell me this or that. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it's just a thought. It's a thought that comes into your head out of nowhere. But a still small voice experience is where it's very succinctly said, and it seems to be directed at you rather than coming from you. And that's what I had. I'm driving down the road, minding my own business, and all of a sudden, this thought comes into my head or this voice, not really a voice, but a thought saying, Steve, did you realize that everything you've been teaching about the, the, the principles for living life in divine flow are contained in the song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat? Hmm. Now, it was so much like a voice, I even said kind of to myself, what? <laughs> <laughs> and again, it said, all the principles you've been teaching for how to live life in divine flow are contained in the song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Now, I had never even thought about this or thought about the song or anything. Mm-hmm. So I just began to mentally review it. I said, oh, yeah, row, you know, you've got to take action. It's not just about just being swept along somewhere. There's, <clears throat> you know, we, we get guided in life and we have to act on that guidance. Yeah. Uh, gently, you know, don't, don't row against the flow. You got to row with the flow. Stop forcing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, your boat is you, the stream is the flow. Uh, merrily, I thought that's something we haven't talked about today, but merrily is about, you know, positivity, keeping a positive attitude and the fact that actually happiness comes from within. You don't really have to get where you're going to be happy. You can be happy on the way there yes, <laughs> as well. Right. Now, life is but of a dream. Uh, all these things, I thought, yeah, that's right. They are contained in that song. And so ever since that point, when I would teach lessons on living life in the divine flow, or at that point I said, I would kind of construct it that way. If I wanted to do a whole you know, lesson on it, I would say, Let, here's the various parts. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's use the song as a metaphor for uh, about taking action, rowing with the flow, not against it, being gentle, keeping a merry attitude. You know, life is but a dream. The dream part, I usually talk about how our perceptions of things, we think this is horrible. I perceive it this way. And it's really just how you see it. Other people might see something as being good where you see it as bad. You need to to not let go of what you think you know about your judgments of situations. That's the, the dream part for me. But uh, anyway, so that's uh, that, that song just popped into my head. And I thought that's a good way to talk about being in the flow. Use that song. And that's what I based my book on. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, would you sing that for us? <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, but that song, by the way, uh, yeah, I, I was wondering, uh, I, I was asked once about publishing my book internationally, and I thought, well, I guess, but I, but it makes more sense to people who have heard the song, and I don't know this international song. They do know it in England very well, mm, yeah. uh, and in America as well, but I don't know about other countries. But but the way it goes is... Uh, yeah. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Oh boy, love music. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> That was great. I have a few more questions. Um, okay. What is your definition of well being? Well-being, I say with a feeling of overwhelming uh, peace that all is, is well, that, you, that there's no tension, anxiety, or anything that you have to worry about, that you are supported by something greater than yourself working in this universe. That would be well-being. Mm, great. What are three things about life you know for sure? Okay. One would be, and this is from my... Uh, the experience that I had as a, as a child, this mystical experience, 
that really experienced this uh, sitting under a tree once that that you are really not your your body, your mind, or your personality. That your true self, who you really are deep within, is is spirit, not body. And that spirit is eternal. It is a is an eternal consciousness that has always been, and always will be. And I say that that I know that for sure because I just experienced it. There's no doubt in my mind about this. I was that eternal consciousness for a short period <clears throat> when I was 14, and have remembered it ever since. Not that I always re- can recapture that, <laughs> right. but it was it was a very real experience. Yeah. So that's one. The other one I've already mentioned a couple of times today because it was a it was a life altering experience for me to go from thinking the world is working against me to thinking the world is is for me. So my, the second one is that we do live in a beneficent universe that is continually working on on our behalf to help us experience our highest good. And the third one, uh, I've talked about this too. If you really pay attention to the flow of life and cooperate with it, your life will be more fulfilling, uh, more joyful, and on top of that, virtually effortless. So those three things are th- that I, I believe those for sure and have experienced all three. Right. Where can we find more information about you, your work, products, your books, projects? All right. The, the, uh, the one place where you can find out everything about me and my work and all those things would be at my website, which is very easy to remember. It's rowrowrow.com. Just R-O-W-R-O-W-R-O-W.com. And, and what you're going to find there is the, the usual thing you'd find on author's page. You'll find all three of my books. Uh, I've written three books, uh, the first one and then two follow-up books and a children's book as well. So there's a fourth book on there. But you find my books, my speaking is schedules on there. Although I got to say, I'm really semi-retired this day. Uh, these days, I don't speak that much, uh, usually only two or three times a year, but that is on there. There's links to, to messages that I have posted uh, on my blog. So there's a link to my blog from there. But the best thing that I think people can get, you, of course, I want you to go and check out my books. But if you go to rowrowrow.com and click on the free downloads uh, page, you, there are lots of free stuff. I've got guided meditations and visualizations that you can listen to. Uh, there's links to recordings of about a dozen of my talks. There's a bunch of affirmation statements that you can uh, download and print out. So there's a lot of good free information and about the divine flow there that's uh, free to you at no cost whatsoever. Really great. Thank you so much again for this meaningful conversation. I have to say that I love your enthusiasm. It's my obsession. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Yes, I love that. I really appreciate that. Okay, thank, thank you, you so again. much. Bye thank you. Now. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Stephen Lane Taylor, please visit his website, rowrowrow.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, and Terry Clayton. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.